Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Rancho Baptist Church. And wow, did the sound get really weird when I did that? I am Pastor Jason May with just my ears. Hey, if, if you are new and visiting us, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. If you could fill out a little bit about yourself, drop it in the offering sock when they come around, that would be excellent. If you have something you want us to be praying for, you could include that. If it was something that you want to keep just with the elders, then just go ahead and put an asterisk that says confidential. For those of you that call RBC your home, you are part of our family, we of course would invite you to let us know of any prayer requests that you might have as well. I am Pastor Jason. I have the awesome responsibility of bringing God's Word Sunday after Sunday. And today marks quite an exciting day because this is going to be the third book that I have now finished, unless Jesus comes back and takes us all home in the middle. And that would be okay too. Since I came to Rancho Baptist Church almost four years ago. So praise the Lord over four years now. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness, for his word. But I, I must admit that as I looked at these final four verses in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I thought, Lord, what have I done? Leaving this. Man, I could be finished with this in five minutes. And yet the more that I dug into it and the more that I just kept seeking the Lord on this, the more challenged I became and the more that I understood Man, this is rich and deep. And this is something that we all need to be reminded of. This is something that, that even though I would say we as the Rancho Baptist Church family, we are good at this. We can always improve. We can always be challenged to do what? To wrap arms around each other more, better. To put on display the affection that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us that we should have towards one another. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So turn with me, if you're not there, to 2 Timothy, the, the last verses of the Apostle Paul written to his son in the faith, really on his dying deathbed, his last memoirs. And, and this is where Paul goes. Of all the places to go, he goes to greetings. Something that we don't seem to make that big of a deal about here in America. And our greetings, just my extension of my hand to you, welcoming you, or saying goodbye to you. Is that what Paul means? I want you to consider that as we look at this this morning. You can tell from my lead-in that there's so much more. Greet Prissa and Aquila. In the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you. Also, Pudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. What is oh so challenging about this is that this is Paul's repertoire. This is what Paul does. This is what Paul does again and again and again. And all we really get at the end of 2 Timothy is just a little glimpse into the life of the Apostle Paul. 
Turn with me to Romans 16 and let me try to expand our understanding of the kind of man that the Apostle Paul was. And and I want to couch that. The kind of man that the Lord Jesus Christ had grown the Apostle Paul to be. A man like Jesus Christ who was all about people. Wrapping his arms around as many as he could and intentionally ministering to people all over the place. Wherever Paul went and he established a church, he would pour himself into that group. And as a result, he would have countless friends all over the known world. And we see this in the book of Romans in chapter 16 as he closes out this masterful epistle on the doctrine of salvation by or justification by faith alone. This is how he ends this incredible epistle that is just so rich and so deep in truths about our salvation, truths about redemption, truths about justification by faith alone. And and this is how he wraps things up. I commend to you, verse 1, our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, and look at this, who for my life risk their own necks. To whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epionidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are, out under, who are outstanding among the apostles, who, were, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household at Narcissus who are in the Lord. And he keeps going. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Some believe they're sisters, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. And he keeps going. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. And then pick it up in 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and to the whole church greets you, Erastus. The city treasurer greets you, and Quartus, the brother. I won't have you count them because it would take us some time, but if you were, you would find that there are 33 people mentioned here. Guys and gals. Notice how they're mentioned. Their names just aren't given because if that was the case, it would only take them about two or three verses. No, with their names comes some sort of little summary of who that person is and what they mean to him. 
But you know what is the most challenging aspect of all of this? Isn't that number of names which in itself is crazy. What is so challenging for me is Paul has not been to Rome yet. When he writes this, he says, I wish to come to you. So we don't even know where he meets all of these people and how he's so endeared to them. And most likely what happened is, is that he was on his missionary journeys, he met these folks, and then they went back to Rome. And so as such, he desires to go to them. Why? To wrap arms around them, to share the truth of God's word with them, and to love and love and love them more and more. And in very much the same way, it's how he wraps up 2 Timothy. Giving a reminder to those whom he holds as his friends, I haven't forgotten about you. I love you. I have an affection for you and I want this affection to, to, to be known to you so that you would know that even on my dying deathbed here as I look at departing oh so soon, I'm not thinking so much about myself. In fact, I'm not. I'm thinking about you and what a blessing you are to me. I wonder if, if any of us in this room this morning, if you were given this task, to write a kind of a closing time, closing chapter, so to speak, in your dying days, and you were going to send this letter to the church here at Rancho Baptist Church, if you could come up with 33 names. And not only come up with 33 names, but you could come up with 33 names, and then you could also give a summary of why each one of those people means so much to you. This was the work that the Lord had done in the life of the Apostle Paul. Remember where we saw the Apostle Paul in the beginning in, in Acts chapter 9? He, he was a man who was breathing out death and destruction towards Christ's church. He was the complete opposite. He had no love. He only had animosity towards Christ and to anybody who made their allegiance towards Christ that were part of this thing that they called the way. He wanted to destroy Christ and he wanted to destroy the church. And now what is he all about? He's all about Christ. He's all about the word and he's all about the people in Christ's church. Amen? That's the challenge that he gives us this morning. But what is a greeting, right? What, what, what is a greeting? It is a welcome through word or gesture. That is what the Greek means. That's, that's normally what we think about that can be put on display through embracing, through kissing, through offering the hand. And depending on where you went in the country, you would find that there's all sorts of different greetings. In fact, our president of the United States did, did something recently, right, that kind of showed that, hey, a, a greeting done wrong can have bad effects. If you don't know the culture and you don't know how they're going to construe something, you need to be careful how you then greet someone. In Papua New Guinea, going from, honestly, village to village, location to location with different language groups, they have all sorts of different greetings. Some can throw mud at you. 
I was in the highlands of Papua New Guinea with a group of men. We went into this very, very remote village. This old lady comes out of her hut, ah, doing this. She comes walking up to me. I reach to give her a, a great big hug. Instead, she goes down and she grabs me by my ankles. And then she picks me up over her shoulders. She's like this tall. And she's picked me up over her shoulders and she's just hanging me like a rag doll. My, my, I'm flopping like that. And she held me up there for minutes. It was like three to five minutes. And she's just laughing and saying all sorts of stuff that none of us know what she's saying. That was her greeting. There were other guys with me. You know what they did? They backed off and they, and they said, hey, we're glad that you're going first. And then what do they do? They run up to her and give her a hug so she can't do the same thing to them. Is, is that all that a greeting is? Is that what Paul means? Write this down. This is a nuanced meaning of this Greek word to greet. It means to engage in a hospitable recognition of another. To engage in a hospitable recognition of another. What, what does it mean? It means to love well. It means so much more than me extending a handshake to you and say, well, welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. And what we're going to see in the life of the Apostle Paul is he was calling Timothy to this high standard saying, hey, keep loving well. Keep following my example. Do you remember everywhere that we went, Timothy, what did we do? We didn't just pour the word of God out. We poured our very lives, our souls out to those around us, and we wrapped our arms around them. Follow that example. Don't forget about that. You want to see one of the most vivid depictions of what this looks like? Turn with me to John chapter 19. And the one that we should all learn what love looks like from. Because he again and again and again was the perfect display of love. That is our Lord Jesus Christ, particularly when he's on the cross. What kind of love are we going to be talking about when we talk about a godly display of affection? We're going to be talking about a love that is not centered on Jason, but a love that is centered on Jesus Christ and on others. And we see this in the life of, of our Lord oh so vividly in these verses. 25 to 27, John chapter 19, look at this. We know this, but I don't think we stop and we truly think about what is going on. <clears throat> Therefore, the soldier did these things. Meaning they took his clothes, <clears throat> they divvied, up, divvied them up among themselves, and then for the nicest, choicest cloth, what did they do? They gambled for it. But then look at this. Love on display. <clears throat> but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, no doubt John, right? Standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son, and points to John. And then he said to the disciple, to John, he says, Behold your mother, and points to Mary. <clears throat> and then look at this sweet depiction of the kind of man John was. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. From that hour, right there and then. You can trust me, Jesus. I've got this. I am looking after her until her dying day or until my dying day. She is now my mom. I got this. 
What is that? That is a godly display of affection returned for Jesus' godly display of affection. The way that this happens is this should be infecting us, right? That this goes from me to you and you back to me and then to others. That as we put the Lord Jesus Christ on display in the way that we have affection towards one another, it's catchy. Catches. You catch it. You pass it on. And then the whole body is loved on. That's what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we see in his apostles. That's what we see in his disciples. That's what we should see in Christ's church. And I am so thankful to be your pastor. Seriously. You guys do this well. We can do this better. I can do this better. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 22, 36 to 39, right? As, as he's asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Oh, it's easy to, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. So that's the vertical relationship. You must keep that as preeminent in your life. That is, from that relationship comes your relationship with your wife, with your spouse, with everyone else. And from there, then we have the second, which is likened unto it. You shall love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Why? Because we're all selfish. And that's easy. But it is not so easy for me to love others as much as I love myself. And so that's where Jesus goes. And where does this kind of love come from? Where do we see this emulate? Well, we see this in the life of, of John. We saw it right here in the way that he responds to Jesus, that he will look after his dear mom from that point on. But we see it in his epistle too, 1 John. Turn there with me, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Again, these are verses that we're familiar with, but put them in the context of, of loving one another of greeting one another, of really wrapping our arms, our lives around each other. And it takes on new meaning. Add that into how many people the Apostle Paul knew in Rome, even though he hadn't even been there yet. That he remembers all their names and he remembers the things that he thought were so telling and appropriate and godly about them. What did he do? He loved well. May we love well. 1 John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 11. And let, let's go all the way to 16. Look at this. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. This goes all the way back. Where does it go back to? It goes back to the garden. It goes back to the first two brothers ever born. That we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Because he was jealous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How? For what reason? Why? And he gives us the reason. We know that we have passed out of death into life. You want some confirmation that you're saved. Here's one. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. 
These are stark and scary words. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this. And then he gives us the perfect example of what love looks like. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is what we're going to see this morning. That is what a godly display of affection looks like. It is loving others more than you love yourself. It is putting them first over and above yourself. And we see that in the Apostle Paul when he could have done all sorts of other things to end this letter. But instead, he wants us to know, hey, I am still all about others. Even to my dying death, my last breath, I am going to let them know that I love them and that I care for them. And so it's this love that Paul came into contact with on the road to Damascus. It's this love that came to him and blinded him and then forever changed him. And so what we see at the end of life's Paul, or Paul's life is incredibly different than what we see at the beginning of the life of the Apostle Paul. As he was on a rampage wanting to destroy Christ's church, at the end he loves Christ's church more than anything. Not the building, the people. So we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul this morning two ways that the gospel transforms our affections. Two ways that are so easy for me to say and entirely different to live. First, the gospel causes us to care for others. We'll see that in 19 to 21. The gospel causes us to care for others. If you don't have love, then what are you? You're a resounding gong. Second, the gospel causes us to pray for others. That's what we see in 22. It's prayer language. He's offering prayers, not just for Timothy, which he does in the very first sentence, but the last sentence is, is you plural, grace be with you all. Not just Timothy, but the church in Ephesus. That is where the Lord is going to take us this morning. The gospel causes us to care for others. Look at how Paul starts off in verse 19. Greet Prissa and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Do you recognize that, that of the 27 books in the New Testament, 21 of them are letters, and of those 21, there are only seven that do not have some sort of greeting in them. That leaves 14 that do. That's not just Romans and 2 Timothy. That is a whole lot more. It's as if the Lord is wanting us to know that this is something that should be important, that this is something that should be part of the body of Christ. This is something that should be part of the church of Christ in the way that we relate with one another. And please don't try to pick me up and put you over my shoulders when this sermon is done. I might start crying. <laughs> But we must ask ourselves, why would Paul do this? I mean, he is getting to the end of his life. He most likely, he, he will not see these folks again. About the only one that he can see is Timothy, who's supposed to bring John Mark with him. And yet he still takes this time. Why? I'm going to present to you because this is Christ living in him. 
Because to a certain extent, if he's abiding in Christ, and if the Holy Spirit is active and living and working in Paul's life, he has no other choice. He's going to be all about others. The focus isn't going to be on him, and so that's where he goes. And where he goes first is he shows us his care for others. This reminds us just how important it is to welcome people and reach out. Okay, so under the first point, I, I don't have this in the outline, so you're going to have to add it. I have four subpoints of how the gospel causes us to care for others. The, the Apostle Paul gives us some examples. And the first is this, you let your friends know that you're still thinking of them. You let your friends know that you're still thinking of them to, the, to your dying day. If the Apostle Paul could do this thousands of years ago when he didn't have Instagram, didn't have text messaging, didn't have all the other things that we have at, at our disposal right now so easy, don't you think we could do a little better job of this? I'm so much more preaching to myself than I am to you. This is convicting. This is challenging, yet this is so cool because this is what Paul was all about. We see it consistently with the Apostle Paul. And as the Lord gains more and more control in my life, this is what I want to do. I want to love others more and more and more and more. And I don't want to miss any opportunity of taking somebody alongside when they talk to me at church and say, hey, let's pray. Hey, I'm going to reach out to you after this day. And I'm going to follow up with you. You see, the gospel not only saves us from eternal condemnation, but the grace that is unleashed, it then transforms us and works in us so that the focus becomes less about me and more about you and more about Christ. That is what grace does. That is what Jesus Christ was all about. But then there's also this flip side of, of, of others in recognizing that what it would mean to them to receive this. And, 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 it's, and it's not for, for a Priscilla and Aquila where, where, where he starts. It's not just letters on a page. The idea is it's a command. Hey, you don't get an option, Timothy. I want you to go to this couple. I know that I've told you to come quickly. I still want you to come quickly, but I don't want you to shortchange this. I want you to go to this couple, and I want you to love on them. And I want you to remind them that I still am thinking of them, that I still am concerned about their welfare, that I still praise the Lord for this dear couple. And Timothy, I know you do too. So I want you to go to them. I want you to reach out. I want you to love on them. Yes, and then leave. And what is oh so significant about this reaching out to friends to know that you're still letting them that you're still thinking of them as who this couple was and all that this couple had done with the Apostle Paul. Do you remember where we first saw them? Acts chapter 18. Paul comes into Corinth. He's alone. He goes back into his work of tent making. And who's there? This couple. And he strikes up a, a friendship with them. Some believe he actually leads them to the Lord. They weren't saved yet. In any case, what we do know is they begin to minister with Paul. And the church has begun in Corinth. No doubt they meet in their house. And they become so much a part of his ministry, and he's so encouraged by their ministry, their ministry, that he asks them, hey, can you guys come with me to Ephesus, the next stop? 
And do you know what they do? They say yes. They've already come from Rome because that's where they were in the beginning. And they were kicked out of Rome by Claudius. And that's why they end up in Corinth. And then they leave Corinth and they go to Ephesus. And there, you know what they do? They do the same exact thing. They're church planters. They're accompanying, they're helping Paul. They're part of his team. And so what do they do? They get a house. And they have a house church. And it meets in their church. And then they do that. And then what does Paul say? Hey, I'm going back to my home church. I'm going to finish up the second missionary journey. But you guys stay here. Why? Because I trust you. Because you guys love well. Because you guys are a godly couple. And I want you to be an example. And then do you know what happens? They leave Ephesus and they go back to Rome. How do I know that? Because we read about them in Romans chapter 16, verses 3 to 4. And notice how Paul commends them. I'm sure he could have commended them for all sorts of other things. Because their relationship goes back all the way to Corinth. But now he's talking about them in Rome. And what does he say? Greet them. Wrap arms around them. Because they are what? Those who for my life risked their own necks. They put their life on the line for me. Oh, dear one, please go and greet them and love on them and let them know that they matter to me and that I'm still thinking of them even as I am about to die. It's interesting to me that commentators spend pages and pages and pages describing why Priscilla's name comes first and four out of the six times. And, and, and to be honest, I don't care. She comes first, praise the Lord. I'm not saying it would be praise the Lord if she is leading him. We can assume none of that. You know what we can assume? We can assume that this is a couple among all couples. Why? Because as we look at so many other accounts, you don't see a couple mentioned over and over and over again as you do with these two. Okay, there are some couples mentioned in Romans, but nothing like these. These guys are mentioned six times, and they're mentioned together. So what do I want you to walk away with? I want you to walk away challenged with a marriage like theirs. Because that's what I'm walking away with. That when all is said and done, Paul couldn't just, just say, oh, I, okay, send the greetings only to Aquila. No, his heart went out to both of them, and when he considered them, he considered them as a couple. Do you know why? Because they're one. And that's the way that our marriages should look. And that's the way that we should minister. Even if you're a senior pastor in a church, I want you all to recognize that she makes me better. And that I was lame and lost and so crazy messed up before her. And you guys would just laugh if you would look at my life if I hadn't married my wife, Shannon. That she is so good for me. And that we minister together. And that when I'm up here, she's supporting me in all that she does. And, I, and I, okay, am I reading into the text? I don't think so. I, I believe that that's what is being communicated as he brings out this couple uh, first before anybody else. This has been a challenge to me. The second challenge, where does he go next? The household of Onesiphorus. This man who encouraged him. Do you remember chapter 1? And, and what an encouragement Onesiphorus was because nobody else was looking for me. But look at this guy. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. 
May the Lord bless him and his household. But he doesn't hold up Onesiphorus alone. He holds up his household. Why? Because he and his household mattered to Paul. Who matters to you? If this was you and you were writing this, who would you include in this? Then he goes on, second. Okay, my subpoints probably aren't making any sense. The gospel causes us to care for others. You should be encouraging your friends that are no longer with you. Now he adds another nuance. Let your friends know that not only that you're still thinking of them, but those that served alongside with you, that the Lord has guided and taken to a new place, let them know that you're still thinking of them as well. That's where he goes with verse 20. Not just fellow co-workers, but we're seeing co-workers that we can assume Paul was thinking would end up in Rome with him. Look at the way that he says it. Okay, so greet Prissa. And Aquila, so Prissa is another way to say Priscilla, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Okay, so these were two guys who were traveling with Paul that were going with him to Rome. Neither of them made it. Do you think that that could be difficult for Paul? Yes, do you think that could be difficult for Erastus and Trophimus even more so? How do I know this? Because I saw guys on the mission field that were so committed. And the only thing they wanted to do was learn that language and share the gospel with that particular tribal group. And then for sickness or whatever, they had to leave under good reasons. And it tore them up. And so I'm thinking that Erastus and Trophimus were probably a little bit dejected. And so what is Paul doing? All the way from the cell in Rome, he is taking Timothy's hand and he's pulling it. And he's taking Erastus and Trophimus' hand and he's pulling them. And he's joining them together. And he's saying, don't forget about each other. And don't forget that I haven't forgotten about you. And that I'm so thankful for you. So Timothy, when you, and you will, you will arrive in Corinth. Because you, if you're going to leave Ephesus, you're going to come to Rome, you're going to end up in Corinth. You're also going to end up in Miletus. And when you end up in those places, Timothy, I don't want you just to greet them. I want you to love on them. And I want you to remind them of how much I cared for them. And listen, remember our brother Trophimus. Timothy was much closer to Miletus than Paul was. The only way that he wouldn't have known is if this kind of happened drastically and no word had been passed from Miletus back to Ephesus to let Timothy know that Trophimus had gotten sick. This might have been the first time that Timothy heard that Trophimus was sick. Trophimus was someone that worked with he and Paul. All of these are mutual friends. What is Paul doing? He's reestablishing their friendships. And he's giving Timothy an added, it's not a burden, an added blessing of going to these places and being encouraged. So when he gets to Miletus, he's not going to miss out on this opportunity to find out how, how Trophimus is doing. He's going to invest in him. He's going to say, buddy, are you okay? 
How can I help? How can I pray for you? Hey, listen to what the Lord has been teaching me through this, through this, through this. Reestablishing that relationship and then no doubt taking news about how Trophimus was doing all the way to the Apostle Paul. What, what is he doing? He's encouraging Timothy to continue to build relationships that were already established. How much of our priority do we put on that kind of work? And it is work. Do you think Timothy could have just gone through either of those places a whole lot faster if he didn't spend much time with Erastus? If he didn't spend any time with Trophimus? Oh, yes, I'm sure. Do you think that Paul would have been easier in his life sitting down, not having to worry about exactly? And, and since it's getting to be winter, many have assumed that the light that was coming in, remember, he's just in a little dirt hole, that that light was disappearing. So it's becoming more and more difficult for Paul to write. And yet he, he doesn't shortchange anything. He wants them to know, man, I care about you. And notice what he says. This is particularly telling to me. Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. That's all he says about it. Do you know why? Because that's all that there is about it. We don't need to know anything else. He got sick and he couldn't continue on. This doesn't degrade his character. This doesn't make him any less of a missionary. This, this doesn't add question marks into his loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ or to Paul. This doesn't question his godliness. What it does is it points us back to the garden and say, oh yeah, sickness, it's going to be there until glory. And if you're not sick now, you will be. There's many things I can tell you that are, are for sure not going to be true, but that one I can. At some point, you may not be completely like overboard sickness, but you're probably going to at some point, get some sniffles, right? It, it goes back to the garden that we have sickness in this world and that sickness is to be understood as just part of normal life. And on top of that, at times, it can be an incredible bear to deal with sickness. Why? Because all your expectations are robbed. You thought you were going to do this and instead it changes. And what is Paul doing? He's giving Trophimus encouragement. Hey, I'm still supporting of you. I still love you. I miss you. No doubt what's implied, man, I wish that you were with me, but it's okay that you were sick, that you stayed there and the Lord had other plans for you. And what an encouragement to see all of that. And then what is the final point number four that we see in verse 21? It is this, that friends that are far apart, that we must try to build that relationship. Similar but nuanced because of what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 20. Make every effort to come before winter. Oh, sorry, I skipped that one, didn't I? Okay, so the make every effort to come to me before winter how I'm couching that is this idea of doing something in repetition. Repeatedly showing your care for others. That as the gospel works in us to care for others, there's going to be that, the idea that we need to keep loving, keep 
loving repeatedly loving over and over again do you think that when Timothy heard this he was like oh I'd never heard that before no he just read about it verse 9 chapter 4 we just looked at it a couple weeks ago make every effort to come to me soon and yet he says it again in verse 21 at the beginning Make every effort to come to me before winter. What is Paul doing? Paul again is letting Timothy know you, val- you are of great value to me. Timothy, I love you and I can't wait to have you come and visit me. That's why I'm saying this over and over again. And so for us, as we follow Christ, this should be something that we see manifesting in our lives that we are repeatedly letting those whom we love know that we love them and that we have concern and care for them. That is what Paul is getting at. And then notice the, the last people that he mentions. Eubulus greets you, also Pudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. These are believers in Rome. And the only thing that we know for sure about them is that Timothy knew them and that they knew Timothy. And just as the Apostle Paul was was trying to encourage Timothy in his relationship with Erastus and Trophimus as he was traveling from Ephesus to Rome to rekindle those relationships, I believe that there's encouragement that we see here. As Paul then is taking these believers in Rome and he's saying, hey, Timothy, and these believers here in Rome, these four in particular, Eubulus, Pudence, Linus, and Claudia, they're thinking about you. In fact, the whole church is thinking about you. And don't you think that would have given Timothy oh so much encouragement in his travels from Ephesus to Rome, perhaps sped him up a little bit. And allowed him to know, oh man, I can't wait to get there. Why? Because they're waiting for me. Because they're sending their greetings. They're showing to me that they have genuine love and concern for me. That's the way that we should all function. The question is, how important are people to us? And how much do we make this a priority? We know that the Apostle Paul has talked a lot about the Word of God. And he's told Timothy to preach the Word. Chapter 4, verse 1. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all, with great patience and instruction. He's told him in 16 and 17, chapter 3, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work and now what he's giving timothy is this added insight to where okay don't only let look after your life and watch it good don't only look after your doctrine and watch it good but love others well so let me extend some more greetings to you of those that are in rome that i am now calling you to have a further relationship with Because they've greeted you and now what's supposed to happen? In the reciprocal, you are to greet them when you show up in Rome. Not thinking about yourself only, but thinking about the encouragement that you can be to the believers in Rome. So we see that first the gospel transforms our affections and gives us 
this care for others that could only be identified and defined as a Christ-like love that's others-focused. And second, we see this, that it causes us to pray for others. Look at what the Apostle Paul says last. The Lord be with your spirit. He's speaking to Timothy. We know this because the your there is in the singular. The Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. When he says the Lord in this, he is above all letting Timothy know that he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. This in the Greek is kurios, which means master, which means owner. And what it has involved in it is, is it's one who is in charge by virtue of possession, that he owns us. Why? Because he is our creator. And as such, it is, it is also understood to be the leader, our, our chief, the one who commands us. So what, what is so counter to any of our normal thinking is this one who is our Lord, this one who is our creator, this one who is our chief, this one is the one who commands us. Look at what he says. May he be with your spirit. May you commune deeply with him. This isn't the Holy Spirit. This is Timothy's own spirit. So what is he getting at? He's getting at Timothy and his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and how he interrelates with Jesus Christ and how he walks with Jesus and how he spends time with Jesus and what that relationship with Jesus is like. Like we looked at several weeks ago about Jesus being a friend. He sticks closer than any brother. He is our Savior. Yes, he is also our friend. He is our Lord, our Master, but he also is with us. How does Jesus Christ as Lord of each one of us have this kind of relationship with our individual spirits? I'd like to say it the way that Paul says it in Galatians. Christ lives in us. Christ lives in us. Look at Galatians 2, 19 to 21. As in these verses, we see how Christ empowers us. In so many different ways, 19 to 21. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might what? I might live to God. Christ allows us to live to God, to honor God in all that we do. He gives us that power to enable us to live for God. Verse 20, we see how we can handle sin. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ empowers us to have victory over sin, allows us to say no to the flesh. Why? Because our flesh has been crucified with Christ. And as Christ was raised from the dead, then that 
old nature of ours, our flesh, has been rendered inoperative. We can now have victory because of Jesus Christ. That's all part of this union that we have with Christ. And where does this all happen? This happens through the grace of God. Not through our own self-works. Not through the letter of the law and trying to live up to it. Listen to what he says in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So where does righteousness come? How do I become more and more like Jesus Christ? How do I live more and more righteously in accord with what God says he wants me to look like? How he wants me to live? It's only through God's grace. It's only through grace. And that is where Paul goes. As it's not just, he, he's basically giving, giving Timothy in his last desire for Timothy and praying for him and for the church, he's giving, giving him the, the two most absolute essential things that he could give Timothy. Hey, I'm giving you Jesus Christ and your relationship with him and how you are to live your life in relationship with Jesus Christ. And on the other hand, I'm giving you grace. And in this, he's actually praying that grace would be what? With you. That through his prayer, he is asking for God's grace to be evident, active, and working in the life of Timothy. But since that you there isn't singular, it's plural, it, it would have been better translated, but we don't do this in English. We do this like in, in our translation in, in Siawi in the tribe. Grace be with you all. All of you there. And now it grace be with all of you. That this grace of God. Why does he pray for this? Because Paul recognizes more than any other time that Timothy is not going to have the Apostle Paul with him any longer. And he needs to be reminded that God's grace is all that he needs. And that God's grace, just as Titus 2, 11 to 12 says, that God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. What does it do? It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's what God's grace does. And he's saying, man, I'm praying this for you. Timothy, but not just for you, for the entire church in Ephesus, that God's grace would be so evident in taking over in everybody's lives that the whole world sees it. In the way that you love one another, in the way that you care for one another. This is a very powerful prayer. John Christostom, who's one of the, the great church fathers, this is what he has to say about this last verse. There can be no better prayer than this. Grieve not for my departure. The Lord will be with thee. Hey, don't worry about my departure. The Lord will be with you. And he's much better than I am. Amen? Notice that in this, it is the Lord who gives and it is also the Lord which is given. That he has given to us. He resides with us, in us. That when we see growth in our spiritual life it is Christ in us that is causing that growth and so for us we need to give him the praise and the glory for that and I think one way to recognize that is to look at the life of the apostle Paul and just praise the Lord 
Why? Because he is a man who was so changed, totally different at the end of his life than he was when he was on the road to Damascus trying to annihilate Christians and destroy Christianity. Instead, as the Lord Jesus met him and saved him and changed him and continued to change him, what did the Lord do? The Lord gave him new affections. The Lord gave him new desires. And his life, as a result, became a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that's why we see at the end of his life, we see some mirrors of Jesus Christ and his dying days in the Apostle Paul. Jesus was abandoned. Paul was abandoned. Praise the Lord for the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did in the Apostle Paul's life for giving him these new affection, these new desires and allowed his life to reflect the life of Jesus Christ. May that be true for us. In fact, let me pray that for us. In closing things out as Pastor Shane and the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we stop and we acknowledge that you are such a good God. That the friendships that you have blessed us with, the relationships that we enjoy here at Rancho Baptist Church, going to things like our all-church family camp, Lord, they are so, so good. But we also recognize that, that we need your grace to teach us more and more on how we can love others the way that you love others. We want to minister to those in our body that, that are like Trophimus and that are sick, that need added encouragement. We want our marriages to be like Priscilla and Aquila. We want to be a reflection of your love everywhere that we go and the way that we relate with one another. And we want our, our very spirits, that, that, that makes us who we are, created in your likeness, our personalities. We want to commune with you, Lord Jesus. We want to honor you. We want to walk with you each day. So help us in that. Help us to spend time in your word, meditating on your word, and then spending time with you in prayer, growing in our relationship with you so that your love might be put on display more and more here at Rancho Baptist Church and wherever you send us, Lord. Ultimately for your praise and your glory because it's all about you. And we praise you that the Apostle Paul has gone before us, but we look forward to that day when you take us home. But until then, continue to have your way in us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.